Yo MTG Taps is sponsored by LegitMTG.com. Strategy, streams, and singles, LegitMTG has it all. Oh yeah, and now us. So check us out every Friday on LegitMTG.com and stop back every weekday for more great Magic the Gathering content and product. I wonder who my competition tonight gonna be. I know it ain't gonna be nobody up in here. They up in here. They up in here. Magnetic. F14. W. Organized campaign, I'm on my third route The album just dropped, I'm trying to get the word out Superhero theme music, Ron Sleek walking, snoring The less rails for what was recorded My first stop was Sway in the morning Was greeted by Heather B, Toto was a fan Since the real world on MTV now I MC, five fingers of death, couldn't chin check me Not before I had to get balls right Rehearsing, was asked about my upbringing How long I've been working And Sway's hair rap, look bigger hand person Was rhyming like it was a wake up show Homie tough, I got raps for days Gotta say something for Tony Touch My phone is gone, sorry, I can't talk right now I'm busy, traveling, making my rounds I sat down next on the schedule Was static selector, show already, yo Hey everybody, welcome back to YoMTG Taps. I'm Big Head Joe. And I'm Stephen Marshall. And uh, first of all, you may have noticed that the music this week changed. Uh, and that's because uh, my buddy, you'll never know, just put out a brand new single. It's called Press Run. Uh, it's produced by uh, the producer W. Um, and I wish I knew his uh, full Twitter handle off the top here. Um, but, uh, it's a great single and I was so excited about it. So I just, um, I was like, you know, can we use it as the new intro music? So I'm just switching the intro music, uh, Wayne Valentine on Twitter. Uh, and, uh, and you'll never know is, uh, at, uh, U L L N E V A N O hip hop. So, uh, those two guys are doing some really exciting music. Uh, the album Adventure Rhyme will be coming soon. Uh, you can download the track now. Uh, magnetic, that's magnetic with a K, magneticmoments.bandcamp.com. Uh, track is available for download. Uh, and uh, great track, super excited. Uh, it's the best track I've heard from, from Yul Nevin in a little while. I'm not saying those other tracks were bad, but this one just really bangs, and and it just really fits the kind of sound I want for the intro, too. So uh, it's just a no-brainer. Help him promote the record, um, get something fresh going, and uh, I make no apologies for the amount of the track that I let let play at the beginning of the show. It's my damn show. We got a problem with how how long the intro music is? Make your own show with shorter intro music. You jerks. Uh, so uh, anyway, Currently working on a fan edit. Yeah. Um, so uh, we got a lot of cool stuff to talk about this week. Um, first of all, we have something that I'm sorry, but it's not as cool. Uh, it's the uh, Magic World Championships. Um, okay. Yes, the Magic World Championship is a super cool thing, but uh, I didn't get a chance to watch it honestly because um, we were busy playing. On Sunday, but uh, Stephen, I'm not clicking any of this. I'm not looking at any of this stuff. <laughs> Stephen's just shooting me photos, photos, photos. 
Y'all can never know. You'll never know <laughs> the amount of crap that Steven posts either in the show notes. Oh god, this is the worst one. Or the Skype or the Skype chat. Like you can never know. <laughs> you can never know. Um <laughs> But anyway, um who made that? All I got to do was was see the top four decks, and uh, the top four players were uh, Seth Manfield, um, who I have a 1-0 record lifetime against. Yeah, I told you I'd mention it. Mm-hmm. Um, a, Owen Turtenwald, uh, um, Sam Black, and who was the fourth? Was it BBD? Paul Rietzel. Oh, it was Rietzel. Okay. Um, who I may have team drafted with once. I don't remember. Um, but that, that's obviously that's a four well-deserving players uh, and actually really exciting to see Seth Manfield win it um, because despite not having a win against me, uh, he's a Maryland guy who's had wins against just about everybody this year and it's just been his year. It's the first time, I think it was the first time a player from Maryland even played in the world championships. So that's really exciting. Um, And then also uh, it was his this year it was his first uh, day two of a pro tour, or his first yeah his first day or Sunday, or whatever. His first uh, top eight. His first top eight, right? Good, good. So yeah, so uh, super excited for him and uh, congratulations, Seth Manfield. I think um, he went thirteen and one in the Swiss. Wow, that's insane. Yeah, unreal. Like he, he literally did not lose. Really, that's unreal. Um. Now, the, the part where I'm going it's not exciting is the decks. You know, I mean, we don't play standard right now, so standard doesn't excite us as it is. But then it was like, oh, the world championships. Maybe we'll see something cool. And, okay, there's one cool deck, but it was Abzan Control, Abzan Control, Abzan, like, mid-range or something. I think and it was Abzan Aggro. Was one. Abzan Aggro, and then um, Mono White Devotion. Can you believe it was Sam Black playing the different deck? Sam Black playing a weird deck. Pretty pretty beautiful. I love to see it. I especially love to see it uh, succeed in this uh, in this tournament. You know, so that's really cool. Yeah. Um, do you the, want to talk about that deck for a minute? Because I have... sure. Yeah. So the weird thing about the uh, Magic like World Championship is that you kind of get the there's you know there's a bunch of players in it and right. standard is only like four rounds of it. Right. Because they do like Modern Masters Draft, Modern, Standard, and I think Magic Origins Draft. Yeah. And then the Swiss record after that determines the top four. So only right. four make it. So someone could have had like completely broken Standard and then just like it didn't matter. Like uh, Brian Kibler had like a red green deck or whatever that was all over the place the next week. This is like several world championships ago. Right, uh, right. It was like a red green aggro deck. And. Like it was, it was clearly the best deck in the room, but like because he didn't do well in the rest of the event, it didn't like you know it doesn't show up as one of the top four decks. Right, right. Um. So, but uh, I think it was Alex Magelton. Yeah, know. sounds right. Yeah, he. I believe it was him. He posted the actual records of all the decks in the formats, like the actual constructed formats, like modern and standard. Uh-huh. Uh I retweeted the standard. One, I, I, I couldn't, there wasn't like, no one went 4-0 except for, I think, Living End and Modern, actually. Huh, interesting. And then uh, the rest of the decks, nothing like really stood out. 
Um, but uh, Sam Black actually went 4-0 with his White Devotion deck in Standard. Beautiful. And even more of a shocker, <laughs> he got the deck list from Craig Wesco. Can you believe it? <laughs> it's all starting to make sense uh, now. Yeah, I was like, what a shock. Holy crap. Mono white creature deck. Uh, I, I, this isn't, what? That's so weird. Uh, yeah, so deck list is Anafinza, Kintry Spirit, one of four Archangel of Tithes. That's the centerpiece of the deck. Three Brimaz, three Hangerback Walker, four Knight of the White Orchid. Two Kithion, four Soldier of the Pantheon, and four Wingmate Rock, and then four Master of the Unseen, um, and then three Banishing like three Valor stances. You're like you, utility removal spells, um, and then you have three Nykthos to, and your basic payoff is Master of the Unseen, which can take over a game. Um, I've tested the deck a little bit. I actually uh, I, I played three matches and went two and one in an eight man with it. Um, it looks it looks good. I like it a lot. It's probably the deck I'll play, um, barring you know a last second change of mind, which is pretty likely. Um, it's it's interesting. It, unfortunately, he played against Seth Manfield in the top four, so you know no one was beating him. <laughs> um, the other deck that went four zero was a Tarka Red, played by oh gosh, he's from Sweden, Magnus Lanto, mm-hmm. and then Seth Manfield went four zero with Abzan Control. Although Absent Control overall in the championship had an eight and twelve record. Hmm. Okay. Um. Yeah. So, yeah, the White Devotion deck. I like it. It's it's pretty interesting. It's actually a deck that I bet everyone tried to build for the Pro Tour, and I think they just didn't think of it to to include Hangerback Walker. Because everyone right. like you know Knight of the White Orchid, Archangel of Tides. We've got a deck here, you know. Um. And then obviously Burmaz and all that. And some people tried to add green and make the mana really horrible. Um, but yeah, you just think, you know, you see Magic Origins, you see Kithian, Knight of the White, or- Knight of the White Orchid, and Archangel of Ties, and you, you, there's got to be a deck in there somewhere. I mean, there's not that many cards left to, to put in there. And I think it was just missing Hangerback Walker and then four Mastery of the Unseen. Those are the, I guess, the innovations. Yeah, yeah. So um, that that deck's pretty cool. I liked it, and I'm, I'm probably going to build it and play that at the WMCQ. Cool, cool. So I'll have to borrow some Hangerback Walkers, because I feel like I want Hangerback Walker for Mono Blue Devotion, or for Blue Green Devotion. Absolutely not. I want it. It's a good well, card. No, no, because the deck runs for Collected Company. Do you know what happens if you Collected Company into a Hangerback Walker? Oh, oh. The Blue Green Devotion deck runs Collected Company? You sent me the deck list. Sweet! I don't know. I didn't look at it. I just saw, like, I just saw Fasas and, and Shore Crashers. And I'm yeah, like, that's, the whole that's linear. This is easy. Yeah, you, Sweet. Collect, you collected Company into Thassa. Oh, that's beautiful. I love yeah. it. All right. Or All right. You collected Company into, like, Harbinger of Tides to bounce them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, you know, Hail Mary, if you don't have it in your hand, you can... Collected company into a Silumgar sorcerer and uh, counter a creature spell. Yeah, that's some cool stuff. Yeah, cool, awesome. So, um, did you were you able to find the cards or most of them or uh, a good chunk of them? I I can't find the fairy miscreants and the oh, well, oh but those com- are no problem. Yeah, commons and uncommons I can get a hold of, but well, uh... I need to find the shore crasher elementals because I know I kept aside uh, fairy miscreants, but I don't know where they are right now. So I got right, I got right. to look around. Because um, I think they're, they should be with the Shorecrasher Elementals. If they ah. have Shorecrasher Elementals. I'm not sure if I do, actually. 
That might be the one I'm missing. Because I well, kind of st- stopped playing standard around dragons. <laughs> right, right, right. I swear you had Shore Crashers, though. I probably do somewhere. Probably in a, They're probably in a deck box. Well, they, either way, they are not the most expensive card in the world to, to come up with. So <laughs> if I got to buy a play set of Shore Crashers to run the deck, it's not the end of the world. Seth Manfield wins. You know who didn't win? Huh. Both of us at the GPT. Yeah, we sure didn't. We played in the GPT in a modern uh, GPT on uh, Sunday at Cosmic Comics in uh, Grand Prairie. Uh, no, Grand Prairie, almost at Arlington in Grand Prairie. Uh, straight up, shout out to Jay's Chicken and Rice Plus. Wasn't that what it was called? I, I think it was JW's. I don't remember. It was Jay's Chicken and Rice Plus. Man, there's this place. I swear, if I, if, if that was my LGS, I would get so fat. It's that dangerous, some, yeah. That's amazing food. So they got these, okay, so 15-piece chicken tenders, right, <laughs> with 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 rice, with like a, 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 a styrofoam container full of rice, four blobs of rice, and 15 pieces of chicken for 11 bucks. And the greatest thing is the chicken is breaded like sweet and sour chicken. So you can eat this stuff like like chicken tenders. You can get use the hot sauce and eat it like that. Or you can switch it up and you can make it sweet and sour chicken that you eat with your hands. Like it's the most, it's the most brilliant thing. I'm like ready to go into tears, man. Like it was like the most brilliant <laughs> thing I've ever seen in my life. This is relevant to... Wait, this isn't even relevant to people that play at that store because how would you not know about this? <laughs> I don't care. I just got to give a shout out, man. Because like any, the... anyone at the store, seeing anyone eating chicken, would just be like, well, where'd you Listen, get the chicken? You restaurant... saw it. You were like, you there, boy. Where yeah, I did. I did. <laughs> Yelled across the room. No, but like anyone who has a restaurant, anyone listening to this show runs a restaurant runs a kitchen somewhere think about this chicken tenders wrapped in 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 sweet and sour chicken breading and you can just do whatever you want with it it was amazing it was so good anyway um but we we were playing in this in this event yeah um, and uh <laughs> that was and, you know small victories uh, yes the food was probably our finest play of the day. Um, although you did well. You did fine. I had some you, good plays. You I... made top eight and then scrubbed out of claiming your prize packs. But I... um, <laughs> <laughs> um, we both played red. We both played, uh, I guess you would call it Naya Burn, but it doesn't really, it's mostly Naya. Well, you, did you run a Tarka's? Uh, I didn't. At the, I tested just you went regular burn uh, with Skullcrack. And but you had, you had some in the sideboard, didn't you? No, I was debating it. Oh, okay. So I had okay. like a last two like flex slots, and mm-hmm. I just made them both um, searing bloods. Okay, and that worked out well for you. It did. Uh, well, they were the right call, and I still didn't win the matchups I brought them in for. But uh, oh, no, you the... beat me. <laughs> oh yeah, that's true. I did. You I did. beat me with the damn searing blood, which was uh, very well timed. Uh, because I was like, I mean, I was going to kill you the next you turn if you didn't definitely going to kill me. Yeah, if you didn't have that searing blood. Um, 
but uh, yeah, so you went three one and one, and I went two and three, uh, and I actually am not upset about that result because I don't think I mentioned. I don't think I might have said it on the show last week, but I definitely said it to you. I wasn't there to win that tournament. Winning the tournament would have been amazing and would have been awesome and was you know in the moment the goal, but I was there to test my modern deck in a competitive REL environment because I haven't done that in a while. You know, it's either just been like side games on Tuesday nights when I play test with the Texas Guild Mages or um, uh, Wednesday Night Magic at Common Ground Games. You know what I mean? Just like casual to regular REL, you know? So having that test run of making the deck list out turning it in, keeping things, playing tight, you know, uh, was good practice. The other thing that I'm actually really happy about was I played five rounds of Magic, and I actually got to play against five different decks, which was totally cool, and something you will never get to do in Standard. (laughs) Um, But it was cool. So I played against Lantern Control Round 1, um, I played against you playing Burn, so Mirror Match Round 2. That was cool. Round 3, I played against Merfolk. Uh, round 4, I played against Stefan running uh, Soul Sisters. Uh, and Round 5, I played against Jund. So five decks that are all, you know, mostly real decks, or definitely decks you're going to see. You know, like playing against Seismic Swans Wednesday night didn't feel like real practice. <laughs> you know, although, I mean, no offense to the guy who was running Seismic Swans, but it's not something you see almost ever in a tournament, you know? So so it wasn't great practice. Soul Sisters is a cool deck. I actually like that deck. Um, but it's, it's fringe, you know, it's fringe. And it's, like you said, it's not, doesn't have the best... Uh, matchup against Burn, despite what you would think. Um, but he definitely got his revenge on me uh, from from last Wednesday <laughs> uh, because he did whoop me, uh, and it wasn't close uh, because I was able to. Uh, now I had Path to Exile on my sideboard, so I was able to Path to Exile his Ariok champion, and then the next turn he played a Core Firewalker. I was like, okay, that's not good either. Nope. Um. But, uh, so one of the main things that I learned in this tournament was that I don't know how to sideboard properly with Burn. (laughs) (laughs) All I did through five rounds of Magic was miss board. I just boarded so poorly. I took out Eidolon of the Great Revel against Soul Sisters, which is probably, like, the best card in my deck against Mm -hmm. that deck. Um... I, we we both actually uh, learned that destructive revelry against Merfolk is just a stupid dead card, and you never bring it in. Um, doesn't do anything. Yeah, that that literally cost me a match versus Merfolk. <laughs> it, uh, yeah, it just sits there dead in your hand. Like they, yeah, bad, terrible. Yeah. Well, the thing is, is that like so. <laughs> let me try to justify it. I guess uh, because Merfolk is interesting because. It actually makes Eidolon, it's one of the few decks that can make Eidolon like the worst card in your deck. Because normally it's like the best card in your deck. Right. Um, Because if they get an early Aether Vial out, then they can lock you out of the game. And they have a fast enough clock that it becomes relevant. 
like they're putting you under pressure mm-hmm. and yeah. you can't like and then you have to like you know you, you your your number of like turns gets really low that you have to like draw out of it um so on the draw i'm like citing out a lot of my eidolons i think i cite out almost all of them yeah uh just because i can't catch up and then on the play i bring two of them back in and then i i justified bringing in a couple of destructive revelries because it makes your eidolon better if they do have the aether vial because a lot of times, like especially in I've played, you know, I've played from the Merfolk side of things, and Merfolk actually has like a slightly favorite matchup versus Burn, uh, but not like more than like six. It's not like sixty percent even. Um, but you'll keep a bunch of really bad one landers if it has an Aether Vial in it, <laughs> mm-hmm. and you could completely just lock them out of the game. The other thing is that it just depends on if they keep uh, spreading season. Uh, I'm not sure what the call would be. I, it doesn't really do a lot versus Burn, so I'm not sure if they would keep it. Um, I don't think they do. Yeah, it, but see, Burn, if you if you know their deck, it's real easy to mana screw or uh, yeah to color screw them. But I still think they bore because I've never seen a spreading seas game two against Merfolk. Yeah, I, maybe I'm just sideboarding incorrectly as the Merfolk player. I need to like look up a sideboard guide for Merfolk. Yeah, I'd, I'm very curious about that myself because, like, yeah, because I'm like, Destructive Reverie, I'll totally get them. I'll totally float green. They'll play their spreading season. Then I'll blow that thing up. Yeah. that's what I, and Also, the person I was playing against had Thassa's. Mm. Uh, so it wouldn't be totally dead because you could still target it. And that's they true. had uh, Spellskite from the sideboard. Mm. Spellskite so is I, a very I, good I felt, reason. But I didn't know he sighted out all of his spreading seas. So I thought I had, like, I don't know, like, 10 or 12 targets, which is more than enough. Uh-huh. But it turned out he sighted out all of his spreading seas, sighted out Thassa, so there's only, like, five targets. <laughs> but I have seen Merfolk bring in Leyline of Sanctity. So Oh, wow, I have not seen that. I saw that before. Um, so that's at least something to consider. Leyline of Sanctity is a very live card against the deck. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I did actually lose... Because I in game three I sighted in two uh, destructive revelries and there was a point in time where he was tapped out and I already had a Boris Charm in hand and I needed any other card in my deck basically that could deal like two or three damage mm-hmm. and I drew my second destructive revelry so <laughs> I was like kinda, that that sideboard mistake was just staring me right in the face because I drew them both <laughs> when I needed literally any other card. Here's an interesting question because we've been mm-hmm. talking about lots of like fringe cards for uh for the deck what about quasali pride mage out of the board instead of destructive revelry mm, no okay you don't have because, enough mana to do it immediately yeah you're right um but like my, my consideration on that was that like um it's a it's a it's a creature mm-hmm you know even once it comes down it has some effect if you also have another creature you yeah. know um, and then also if it, it gives you that flexibility of, I can just always board these in because they're good against the, uh, the decks that board in enchantments or artifacts to hate me out, but they're also good against, I mean, they can swing right through a core firewalker for one. Um, and they also like, aren't just dead if you make the wrong call and they don't board something in that like an artifact or enchantment to deal with your stuff. It has a lower downside other than just what it does to your mana. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, and the fact that, I mean, you already are playing the, you know. No, you're playing the lands for it, but you have to, you're going to take <laughs> up to six damage to get that thing out on time. Right, it's true. Um, I, I don't love it. It was just something, it was something to consider. Do I do want to say, even though I did lose to the Merfolk player, I, I playing that deck, like, helped me a lot in terms of playing against it, uh, mm-hmm. despite my bad sideboarding. Um, just, and here's a pro tip, uh, if they have an Aether Vial out with one counter on it, but you have a burn spell that you want to play at the end of, um, I guess you let, uh, they, they're passing and you untap and you want to pass to end step if they have the Aether Vial untapped. And what you want to do is wait for them to activate the Aether Vial because they're going to do it because they obviously want to get the Aether Vial up to two. Um, right. And so when they go to bring in the curse catcher, the curse catcher, you don't you don't do it. Uh, you don't cast like any uh, instants or sorceries. Then you wait until the end of your turn. And with the ability on the stack, you respond and burn them. So you don't that's get countered. Pretty good. Uh, let me tell you something else that's really uh, pretty good to not do with curse catcher. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, my opponent has a curse catcher. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I got this. Call a judge. I go, can I talk to you for a sec? I go over and talk to the judge. I'm like, I'm like, so let me just get this straight. So I have a Searing Blaze, right? And if I cast Searing Blaze and my opponent sacrifices their creature in response, it still deals three to them, right? He's like, yeah, sweet. I sit down and I'm like, Searing Blaze, your curse catcher. And he's like, sacrifice it and i was like you still take three he's like no i don't i countered it i was like oh yeah the <laughs> sacrifice is countering the spell and i can't pay for it then it doesn't deal three damage <laughs> these are things i wanted to get out of my system now so i don't do them in oklahoma city you know i just this is why this is why we play in an event like this this is called a dry run you know you show up to one of these things you play against real players playing real decks trying to win a real tournament for a real decent prize two buys at a grand prix especially if you show up to that event with none it's a pretty big win if you're going to that event you know what i mean uh so you know so it was good to 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 go into that environment and to learn these things and to make these mistakes and to only have these mistakes cost us seven dollars because seven dollars to play in a gpt that felt insane like that's like super cheap it's good value they could have they could have easily charged fifteen dollars i think and people would have still showed up um world magic cup qualifier by the way is fifty dollars to play i know yeah, so another thing that I definitely learned um, playing against Lantern Control. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a with, lot of them there. There was like three Lantern Control decks out of 20 players. Um, definitely, I mean, I literally had never seen the deck played before. I'd seen people playing the deck in the room, but I never actually watched a game of it, you know? Um, so I got to see kind of how that deck works. How does that deck win? Does it just mill you eventually? Um, yeah, it either mills you or it has a pyrite spell bomb that it can, like, loop. Loop. Yeah. Okay. That's 
boring. Who want to play a crappy deck like that? Yeah. So lots, um, of, lots of fun when three people show up to that and make sure that your little GPT that's only five rounds goes to time every single round. Every round. Um, <laughs> well, it didn't seem to benefit us, though, because we still had to rush back <laughs> with our food, like, hanging out of our mouths. But anyway... The one thing I noticed about playing against that deck, and that's a, I mean, I, that's a real deck, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like that's a, that's a real deck. That's a deck people are playing with and succeeding with in big tournaments. Um, so it's a deck we have to be prepared for. Um, I found that destructive revelry wasn't good enough <laughs> because um, they just they see one, they just go, yeah, pitch it. Like, your opening seven is so important, and then they still have hand destruction. You know, like, you need to have a seven that you can actually play. I, you know what? If you know you're playing against Lantern Control, I think it's perfectly reasonable to keep a seven-card no-land hand. I think it actually <laughs> is the best thing you can do. No. <laughs> yeah, it is. You'll... Because they're going to give you lands all the time and they're going to take things from your hand to start the game so if you have seven things in hand you know they're going to eventually make you they're going to let you draw lands no because they, no not if they're good because it, it's good if you don't have lands that's not that's not a fact that you can hide no it's not but you're going to incidentally see a land at some point they're going to have to give you a land at some point they can't beat you just with whatever. They have to give you a land. Now, I'm just going to propose this because we talked last week about cards that can't, that don't do damage being bad and burn sideboard. A, a philosophy that I'm 100% on board with and agree with. However, when we're faced with a deck like this, I think that it really causes us to have to reconsider that a little bit. Um, because there's so, so there's too many targets, there's too much redundancy for something like um, for something like destructive revelry to actually be good. I disagree. But continue. Okay. okay. Um, I think that they can just make you get rid of it um, if they see it on top of your deck. Um I've, I've, I'm thinking about a couple things. Two things. So Stony Silence was the one that I shouted out while we were driving back or we were stopped to get gas. I was like, Stony Silence, Stephen! Stony Silence is the answer! Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, because Stony Silence has the benefit of shutting off essentially that entire deck except for Ensnaring Bridge. Um, and it also has the added benefit of doing pretty good work against uh, affinity or at least uh, certain to, I would say, most builds of affinity. Um, does really well against those. Um, I can't think if there are any. I guess it does a decent enough job versus uh, Tron, but I don't think you'd actually board it in against Tron. Um, but it does shut off all their little artifacts that give them you know, actual colors of mana. Um, but uh, I think Stony Silence could be okay in the sideboard. I also think that um, 
and this is the one that I haven't said that you know, you're probably going to yell at me for. What about Leyline of Sanctity against that deck? What would that do? It it shuts off their uh, it sh- okay. It doesn't shut off the Ghoul Caller's Bell because that says each player, but it does shut off their Codex Shredders. Um, it shuts off their Hand Destruction, and it shuts off their um, um, what do you call it? It shuts off their Pyrite Spell Bomb if that is their ultimate win condition. And it's also good. I mean, it's also you know. Fairly good in the mirror, especially if the mirror is not expecting you to bring in Leyline of Sanctity. Um, I think that I burn deck that won a modern GP in Japan had Leylines in their sideboard, actually. Yeah. Uh, either that or one of the top eight players. Because Leyline is one that gets around the hand destruction, and then it prevents any further hand destruction, too. I think that's a good one. It does. I don't know. Is it good against anything else other than those two decks? Um, I not that I can think of. Is it good against Jund? No. Because they do have a lot of hand destruction. Yeah, but half of it is Thoughtseize, and they side that out. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I thought I saw my Jund opponent playing Thoughtseize both games, but anyway. Maybe that's why we didn't go to three. Um, <laughs> but but still, Leyline of Sanctity actually seems like a good answer. I'm wonder. I'm just trying to figure out like what would be because I feel like at this point in this meta game, we have to make some sort of concession to these decks, and that concession is going to be that we have to run a couple cards that don't do damage. To what decks? To Lantern Control concessions to the format no so i'm saying okay why well first i don't think lantern control is a bad matchup to begin with you're already favored okay i think i mean i did beat it i'm not saying that i didn't beat it but i mean uh but i really felt like my sideboard plan just i just saw my sideboard plan going into my graveyard because they were able to pick and choose. Well, but but although... Sure, at that point, then any card you picked in your sideboard goes into your graveyard and doesn't matter. Al- although my opponent... My opponents were all really cool, I have to say. Like, my opponent definitely, like... Yeah, around talk- was really cool. Yeah, he's top, top-notch. Top-notch. He, he actually, like, kind of talked me through, like, here's, you know, what you want to do against this deck kind of thing. Like, like... What you were doing, he's like, you were cracking your your fetches defensively. So, like, I would go to mill you, and then in response, you would fetch. Oh, no. He's like, he's like, he's like, what you want to do is you want to wait until the last possible second. Because right before your draw step, I'm going to start milling you until I see something I like. He's like, what you need to do is you need to wait. You had to hold your fetches up, and you need to wait until... You know, I'm about to run out of Codex Shredders or something like that, and then you start cracking your fetches. And that made perfect sense. And I was just like, wow, that's just really good insight. Like, something I wouldn't have thought of myself because I just don't really get the deck really that well. Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of similar to Goblin Guide. Your fetches become slightly better versus Goblin Guide because you get, like, a little mini, um, not brainstorm. I don't know what kind of effect you'd call it. But you get to look. You get a free look at the top of your deck because of him. 
Mm-hmm. And then if it's something you do want to draw, then just don't crack your fetch land. And if it's something you don't, you just get a free shuffle in. I never thought about that either. Yeah. I, I, it didn't really come up in our mirror match, actually, which I was surprised. Yeah. You know what's funny? I felt like 11 fetches wasn't enough. <laughs> <laughs> I think I got to go back down. I think I got to go back up to the 12. I think I got to add the 12th one. Because I kept drawing, like... I kept drawing shock lands, and I'm like, I don't want shock lands in my hand. Hmm. I want to actually pay three for them. Like, I want to, I want to dig them out of my deck. This isn't working for me. Uh, another little tip with the fetch lands, uh, since they just have a ton of utility. Uh, I guess in burn, but I'm, I'm sure they have like diff- little corner cases in the rest of the decks in the format. But if you have a grim lava mancer in hand. It actually pays to, if you can afford it, like let's say you have three fetch lands in hand and like a, a basic mountain, you want to go ahead and just fetch so that you can fetch, play, and then fetch again. And then now you have enough cards in your graveyard to Grim Lava Mancer. You mean like turn one, fetch, play Lava Mancer, turn two, fetch, use Lava Mancer? Yeah. So you can like. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 That's something I've definitely noticed playing the deck. What about Leyline of Sanctity and Stony Silence? Which of the two, like this is just you know this is just a consideration. Like, which of the two cards do you think um, fits best? And don't say neither because I asked which of the two do you think fits best in the burn sideboard, and what do you cut for those cards, and how many of those cards do you run in your sideboard? God. I've if seen, you had to, I've seen guns okay. to your head. Okay? okay, you have to pick one of those two cards to put in your deck. A uh, leyline of sanctity. Okay, why would you choose that over stony silence? Well, because you I've, think it, I've seen a deck top eight a GP with those in its sideboard. Sure. Okay, but do you think that that has more utility over the course of a tournament? Than Stony Silence. Um, I mean, because I think that Destructive Revelry is still necessary for the sideboard. So I feel like Stony Silence isn't as in, or isn't as necessary or is less desirable because um, Destructive Revelry is so much more versatile, plus does damage, um, and uh, and I think that you know the consideration on Stony Silence was more for the Lantern Control deck to have a sideboard option. And I think that the Ley Lines do a better job at stopping the uh, Lantern Control deck because you hit it on turn zero. Yeah, so now I'm going to tell you what I actually think. I think I don't like either of those. Um, the The Ley Line is bad because it's... You could cast it. You can cast it theoretically, but it'll have almost no utility at that point, right? Right. So if you ever draw it, it's just a dead card. Right, no, but that's okay. Because all you have to do is aggressively... I think against Lantern Control, you just aggressively mulligan into it, and then they can't do anything. I think that is a terrible strategy. I think that actually... Because you're already starting... So first, I don't like using sideboard slots on matchups you're already favored in. Like, I think you just make do with what you have. And you already have sideboard slots that you can use, like the Destructive Revelries. It's not like you have a bunch of dead cards that you can't bring in. Um, so you're starting off with a matchup that you're already favored against, and I don't want to waste sideboard slots against matchups that I'm 
already expected to win against. Not like, you know, overwhelmingly, but. Um, and then aggressively mulliganing is just a terrible idea with, with burn. <laughs> like, that's horrible. <laughs> like, that's, that's how you lose the game. You're a combo deck with a, that, that requires a critical mass of cards. And that's the other reason I don't like, you know, the, uh, you know, I'm broken record on this kind of stuff, but that's the other reason I don't like Stony Silence is, guess what? Okay, let's say you have two Stony Silence in your sideboard. And normally you want to draw your sideboard cards, but how sad are you if you have a seven-card seven hand, let's say it's like two lands, a lightning bolt, a searing blaze, two Stony Silence, and I don't know, like an Eidolon versus your affinity deck, like versus an affinity. Like you drew two of your sideboard cards for that matchup and you're just miserable. Listen to me though. Here's the problem. No, I think I just told you what the problem is. Lantern control brings in Leyline of Sanctity against you. Sure. But if you, if you bring in Leyline Sanctity against them, you have a better chance of hitting your destructive revelries because I'm talking about bringing them both in. You have a chance of hitting your destructive revelries to take out their ley line so you can actually win. Because yeah, you shut it, off some of their ways to, not all, but some of their ways to shut you down. And um, I don't like cards that work in scenarios where multiple things have to be happening for it to then be relevant. That's why our sideboarding was perhaps a mistake versus Merfolk, right? Because we brought in the destructive revelries because it's like, what if they have the turn one Aether Vial? If they don't, then this is just a dead card. Right. And it's like, but what if they do have it and I have an Eidolon, then I'll be sad. But if I do have an Eidolon and they have an Aether Vial and I draw my destructive revelry, then that was a good sideboarding decision by me that will lead to a higher win percentage. Uh, This is like that, except even less defensible. Because <laughs> it's like, if they have their ley line, then I bring in my ley line. Then I sit around doing nothing because I'm a burn deck for some reason that's hoping to draw the game out. <laughs> and, and I don't know why. I don't know why. Like, a monastery Swift Sphere on turn seven is a very sad thing. Like, that's why burn. that's why burn can't bring in these cards that just, like slow down them and like slow down not because the, the thing the problem with like burn is that if you bring in cards that don't do damage you may be slowing them down you will be slowing them down but you will also be slowing yourself down because you just brought in a card that doesn't do anything for you so now you're making the game go longer and that just by definition cannot possibly be to the burn deck's benefit because you just just like just 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 look at your deck list. Like, just pull a random card out of it and ask yourself, do you want, you know, well, at least I'm drawing into my Goblin Guide. There's so few scenarios where that's a good thing late in the, like, like late in the game. Makes I think Leyline of Sanctity is good. That is a comet in a vacuum that I can't disagree with. How many copies do I run? <laughs> Zero. I'm not, I'm asking you how many copies am I going to put in my deck? One. Really, one only one. Yeah, minimize the damage. Uh, how many? How many do you run? Okay, let me ask you a more broad question that you'll actually answer in a way that I want to hear. Oh boy. How many leyline of sanctity does a deck that sideboards in leyline of sanctity against certain matchups? How many copies do they run? Oh come on, that you know that depends. 
Now, if you're Boggles, four. Because you lose to Liliana, you lose to discard spells. That's not what burn is, though. I'm going to I'm hard no. I don't care if someone top eight to GP. I say no. I'll look at that list and figure it out. Do that. Um, I, I, I do not sponsor or endorse that at all. <laughs> uh, another thing that I realized over the over this tournament is that I completely don't have a clue how to play Eidolon of the Great Rebel. I mean, okay, I kind of do. I know how to play it, but um, I've been kind of on the fence about it. And last week we talked about Keldon Marauders and how Keldon Marauders is a guaranteed two points of damage. Um, and if they don't path it, which, you know, Eidolon just eats a path. You know, Eidolon just eats a removal spell most of the time when you play it. Um, Keldon Marauder might not as often um, because it is just going to leave the battlefield in a turn. So you definitely get the two damage, but you can also swing with it. Um, it might not be the better card, um, but it is what I'm going to try next, uh, or this Wednesday at, uh, at Common Ground. I'm going to try the four Marauders in place of the Eidolon of the Great Rebel. And we'll see how that winds up working out. Okay. That's, that's something to try. I, I think, and <laughs> Kelvin Marauders for anyone that doesn't know, is one red for a 3-3, three, three, vanishing one. When it enters or leaves the battlefield, it deals one damage to target opponent. Vanishing two. Vanishing two. Oh, that's right, yeah, because it sticks around for one turn. My bad. Right, you get to swing with it, right. Now, the re- and, you know, and I actually like it because uh, the one thing that really sucks is, and this is, you know, again, this is one deck, but um, Merfolk plays Spreading Seas. I kept having, and Eidolon's already bad against them, but you got to do stuff. Um, you can't cast an Eidolon when they've spreading seize one of your two lands, but you still cast the Keldon Marauders and it's a corner case consideration, but it's a consideration worth considering. Um, so, so that's something that I'm, I'm looking at, but I think I'm going to do that. Um, so, uh, anyway, uh, I've talked a lot about this tournament way more than I even expected to Steven. Mm hmm. Was there anything else you wanted to talk about, about your uh, Swiss rounds? Swiss, no. No? Okay, cool. So, um, Ryan, I don't know Ryan's, like, over... I mean, Ryan did very well in the tournament, but I don't know his matchups, etc. But uh, Ryan, Germore, and Steven both made top eight. Um, I was really happy for them. I was really hoping to see one of them win it. Uh, But it didn't quite work out that way. Um... Just Ryan, what did Ryan do? Ryan beat Tron. Ryan beat Tron in the quarterfinals, but then lost to your opponent in the semifinals. Um, so tell me about your quarterfinal match so we can get an idea of what Ryan played against, too. Sure. So uh, shout out to listener of the show, Wes, in the quarterfinals. Played against him. What up, Wes? Yeah. Um, he was playing a Naya Zoo deck. Um, yeah, it looked like a cool, cool deck. Yeah, it had like uh, goblin guides and um, curd apes and tarmogoyfs. Uh, yeah, tarmogoyfs not too bad. And see, they are running goyf. Mm-hmm. Aha! 
See, that's what I was talking about, man. Well, this is this is now this is Zoo. Zoo runs Goyf. Um, and what else? He ran a Tarkus command because that's just great. Once you're running enough creatures, um, and Vexing Devils, and I he this was different. He sided in for Idolon of the Great Rebels versus me, huh? um, which is something I was not expecting. Uh, That's kind of amazing. And, it, and it, it was super relevant. It ended up me losing the match. Um, I can't remember what happened game one. I think game one, I just, I either fled out or I was, I think I fled out a little bit. Um, and he just ran me over because he's got a good clock. It's actually an interesting uh, strategy because if you have a really fast clock, then Eidolon can lock you out of the game. But there's so few decks that have a faster clock than Burn. Yeah. So Merfolk's probably one of them. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, so it actually and game two, I kept a one lander and just got straight up got there uh, after mulling to six. Nice. Um, but he, so I had an idol on out, and he had a Tarma. No, he had a wild Nacoddle and a curd ape, and then he played his own idol on. Ooh. And he was at six, and I think I was at. Uh, 12, but I only had two lands, and I had two lightning helixes, a another Eidolon in my hand, and a Skullcrack. And so I was like, just hamming and Han, and um, yeah, I I started laughing at you because you took like four minutes yeah. to take this turn. It was like turn two, or no, it wasn't turn two, but you had like two lands and like four two mana spells, and you sat there for like. Four minutes. Like I was about to call. I, like yeah, my I, was, instincts, like, I need to make a choice here. My instincts were I was about to call a judge on you. Yeah. Like straight up, I was like, I was like, man, I should probably call a judge on Steven just to get him to get on with it. Like because yeah. like so, basically what happens is if he, so here's the thing, he's he's at six life. I don't have two lightning bolts, so I can't kill him. Um. Right. Right. Or no, what was he at? He might have been not six. I can't remember. Uh, I think he might have been at eight. And if I swing with my eye, so basically the ideal play, and he let me know because um, I wasn't thinking. I was thinking. I was. I was. I was acting as if he had perfect information, ah. but I didn't have the two bolts. And so if I swing with my idol on, and he doesn't block, mm-hmm. that's a complete disaster for me. Like, I cannot win the game. <laughs> so I – if um, but he doesn't know that. If if I have two bolts in my hand and I swing, hit him down to six, and then bolt him, like double bolt him, and he loses, then, yeah, that's, that's how I win the game on the spot. But he doesn't know that I don't have even one bolt. <laughs> uh, right, right, right. So I was operating off of my own information, which is I don't have the win. But – all my other options led to me losing. So that's what I didn't realize. And so my, I think the, the, the choice that I actually did take was Lightning Helix, his Eidolon, which still did net one damage to me. Right, right. And then swing for two. And I'm like, well, if I was going to do that anyway, I might as well swing with the Eidolon first. And then if he doesn't block, I can then Lightning Helix him. And so I get the same net result as what I did, except it gives him – it doesn't allow him the opportunity to make the suboptimal play, which is to actually block. Right. But he doesn't know that. <laughs> he doesn't know that's the suboptimal play, 
And so I should have given him the chance to do that, basically. And he, he let me know this afterwards because um, that was like what I was deciding. And I couldn't I, I just I didn't see that line of play where he doesn't know that I don't have double bolt. <laughs> and so he was like he had to block or, you know, possibly lose the game because I had like four mm-hmm. cards in hand. <laughs> and I'd been man, you know, I, I didn't draw a land after turn two. Uh, or no, I was, uh, yeah, I, I drew a land and then didn't draw anything but, la- uh, but spells after that. So, you know, it's, it's a reasonable assumption to have that maybe I have two bolts. Um, but regardless, I, I helixed him, went down to 11, swung, took him down to six, and then he cracked back with the Tarkus command to get me down to one. And then my Eidolon is still alive. And that's kind of bad news. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just blocked out of the game. And for some reason, like I just I had like an intuition. Like I was like I just assumed he had a Tarkus command. So under that, if I swing and he blocks, I can helix him, and that gets him down to seven. And I go up to fifteen, and I can survive the crack back, and then maybe draw into enough burn to kill him. Hmm. So, um. It was interesting. The other, so that that helped. Just kind of like, you know, getting to a place where you can, where if you're only out is you have to bluff them. Then you know you gotta take that that line of play, uh, which I did not do. Um, but the thing that I was that I that I really got from it was uh, seeing that Curd Ape still existed. I forgot about that card. Uh, <laughs> right. I, I'm literally digging through a box right now looking for. Curd apes. Oh, I found rancors. I didn't know I had these. Nice. Yeah. So awesome. Uh, I was lo- I was looking at because there's been a Naya burn list, which is basically the same list we ran, but it runs Wild Nacoddle. And on the last top level podcast, um, Patrick Chapin mentioned that Adrian Sullivan was like brewing a Naya burn list with Abbot of Carol Keep in it, and mm-hmm. I really like the idea because. I, I tested something similar to that, and Abbot of Carol Keep was just outperforming every single time. And Ryan, uh, I think he runs four of them, and he says it's just the best card in the deck, and it's fantastic. So it definitely seems like something worth pursuing. And so once you run Abbot of Carol Keep, you want as many one land uh, one drops as possible to hit, so you can actually cast them. Right, right. And so the first, you know, the, the first one you want is maybe you know Wild Nacodle because a three three for for once, pretty good. Uh, you definitely want Goblin Guides. You definitely want Lightning Bolts. But then on um, the podcast, uh, Patrick Chapin was saying, like, the next best option was maybe Burst Lightning. Hmm. And I don't know. I'm not a big fan of that card. And so I saw a Curd Ape, and you're already running the stomping grounds you need to turn on your Wild Nacoddle. So right. I think that might be worth trying. And then... Once you're running this many creatures, a Tarka's command becomes amazing. And Boros Charm actually becomes pretty good too, because then you can actually use the you have enough creatures where saving them with the indestructibles like uh mode part of it is actually worth doing. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what I want to test. If I I might play Wednesday, we'll see. That's that, that's what I would test is uh Anaya Burn list with Curd Apes and Abbot of Carol Keep. Yes, just found two revised Curd Apes, as you said, the word Curd Apes. Nice. Nice. I wish I had two. I need two more now. Come on. So. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, Urza Lands. Yeah. Yeah. Those have been going up recently, I think. Sweet, sweet. Curd Ape. 
That's what I'm talking about. That's interesting. I I, I, I liked I liked seeing his list. It looked kind of awesome. Yeah, it's it's something that at least to consider. Abbott is interesting. Abbott kind of takes things. That I mean, you're going in a way different direction at that point. Yeah. But I'm not I'm not sure it's exactly wrong. You know. It, the card when I played it felt really really good, and Ryan likes it a lot. So I don't know. It's worth testing some more. I think. Oh, Ryan likes it. I'm out. <laughs> But yeah, so so you think you're going to test that on Wednesday? Uh, if I play on Wednesday, I want to test that. Yeah. Cool, cool. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with Burn, but I think I'm gonna test uh, Kelton Marauders. Um, mercifully, I guess I don't have any um, Leyline of Sanctity, but they've actually gone down a lot. Oh well, they got they're reprinted. Down, yeah, yeah, they're down to like eleven bucks. Oh, nice. I sold mine to a vendor for like seventeen each very happy well uh we actually talked about modern uh way more than we expected to um but that's cool though um so we might save the bulk of our spoiler conversation um for next week's episode um and uh yeah because that yeah because yeah, next week will next week will be all spoiler talk we'll we will do a little more modern testing we won't mention any of it <laughs> on the show. Um, although we are getting, you know, we're getting ready for Oklahoma City. We'll have a huge tournament report on Oklahoma City um, in, you know, after the event. But uh, I think that next week we'll hit as many spoilers as possible. But we kind of want to just touch on just a couple of the bigger announcements. Um, first of all, one thing that got edited out of last week's um, podcast is that apparently uh, the Full Art lands, because Full Art Basics are definitely confirmed for Battle for Zendikar, the Full Art Basics will be in the Fat Packs. A pack of 80 Full Art Basic lands, which should certainly help keep the price of the lands under control or maybe we'll just make the fat pack prices go way up i don't know <laughs> no uh the fat packs are at like walmart i think so that's true they are pretty mass produced so it might actually keep the price of these in check for a little while while those are in print but these will go up in value um now the other major announcement we got from uh pax prime uh was that was we got the the cycle of um, of rare lands and did I call it or did I call it? I don't know. I said. I don't listen to the cast. I mean. I, don't I said you listen to me talk. Hopefully while we're talking, I said that there would be a cycle of rare lands in Battle for Zendikar. With multiple basic land types. I didn't predict like how they would work. But I definitely said. That there were going to be a cycle of lands. With basic land types. And that. And that I, and, and this, this is playing out. Where that there will be this fi- these five. In this set. The next five. In the. Uh, winter set. The winter set. Um, is Oath of the Gatewatch. Um, my guess, you know, based on this set is that that set will have, um, the enemy colored 
dual lands, the new dual lands, which we'll explain in a minute. And then the spring set will reprint the enemy fetch lands. That ah! is my prediction. Sorry. The art for Oath of the Gatewatch, have you seen it? Yes. Yeah, so a bunch of people are making Captain Planet jokes. That's amazing. I love it. Oh my god, I love it. And on top of that, uh, someone called them the Planeteers. You know? I, I'm no, I'm I, I'm 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 just I'm in shock and awe. That's amazing. I love it. God, I love it. <laughs> Hundred percent oh. on board that. Oh, magic community. Sometimes, only sometimes, you do really impress me. Um. So these lands here, uh, the mechanic works like this. Um, you've got a land. So let's say you've got Prairie Stream. Prairie Stream is a rare, it's a Plains Island. So it has tap, add white or blue to your mana pool. Prairie Stream enters the battlefield tapped unless you control two or more basic lands. Um, and that's the, the mechanic for all five of these lands. Um, for some reason, we're magic players, we need nicknames for every cycle of, of dual lands. Why is that? I think that's dumb. Um, but one of the nicknames that uh, Tolarian College on Twitter, I think that's the name of it, came up with was they call these Tango Lands because it takes two to mm. tango. Some people hate it. Some people love it. I'm kind of in the love it camp, to be honest with you. You just love it because other people hate it. I just love it because it's a really bad pun. It makes me happy. And it makes sense in a way. These will be great in standard. I, I don't see them oh, seeing yeah. modern play. Oh, don't say that. They'll definitely see some modern play. I there's there, I mean like think about I mean like like Grixis control. Grixis control doesn't want to take all this damage from their lands. They'll definitely like let a couple come into play tap. Some of these will make it into modern, no question. Especially like, like a slower deck, a more controlling deck, you know, will definitely play these because they'll be able to fetch for them and they won't do them any damage. These will see modern play. Maybe not in, probably not in burn. But anyway, so these are the lands. You got Prairie Stream is the blue white. Sunken Hollow is black blue. Smoldering Marsh is red black. Cinder Glade is red-green, and Canopy Vista is green-white. Um, Can't this be, like, the slow lands? Because they're, like, the opposite of the fast lands? No, slow lands are any land that comes into play tapped. That's already a thing. Is it? <laughs> kind of. Um, so now, <clears throat> the another interesting thing that came out of uh, PAX Prime is that... Um, just like, well, kind of like they did with Priceless Treasures, kind of like they did with Vintage Masters, with the uh, Power Nine, um, we're going to have a cycle of uh, 20, is it 20 in this set? Yes. I think it's going to be 20, is it like 20 and 25 in the other set? Because there's... 45 are the numbers. It numbered up to 45. Oh, then it must be 25 in this set. And like... 25 in this set and 20 in the next set. So there's um, 25 Zendikar Expeditions. 
Mountains. So what these are, is, are, are these are, are these going to take the place of a basic land in the packs? Or would they take the place of a foil? Foil. Okay, so these would take the place of a foil. In uh, certain packs, um, you will have things called Zendikar Expeditions. And what they are, are they are reprints of uh, just money lands, basically. Um, so you've got reprints of the ten shock lands. You've got uh, reprints, I guess you could say, of the five lands that are in this set. And then you also have reprints of, is it just the five so enemy duels or enemy enemy fetches? No, so it's going to be the five of the new cycle. So it'll uh -huh. be full art, uh, five of the new cycle lands, and then right. the ten uh, fetches and the ten shocks. Okay, so it's all ten. I think in, I'm in, assuming. In this set. Okay, um, so uh, these are interesting because arid mesa steam vents. These will not be standard legal. If you open one of these. In a pack that you crack at like before F and M, you can't throw it into your standard deck and play. However, if you open one of these in your um, in your battle for Zendikar packs uh, in a limited event, you can play them, which is really interesting. Um, and I'd love to see like the guy who opens an arid mesa in three straight like Grand Prix or something. It's like what a coincidence, like. Okay, guess we're gonna have to ban you now. Um, but there's not a huge benefit to having one of these um, in your pool, but it's still a really unique thing to be like, I got to play Arid Mesa in Battle for Zendikar Limited, you know, or something like that. Um, they're gonna be super expensive because they are they are essentially full art because the text box is. Uh, kind of uh is kind of translucent so they're kind of full art um and are they foil i believe they're foil and oh. <clears throat> so i think they're going to be at the rarity of a mythic foil so these are not going to be very common right somebody said that like um if you do the math if um the amount of players in Grand Prix Vegas open the amount of packs that they opened there of Battle for Zendikar, you would open about two and a half play sets of Steam Vents in the entire tournament. So you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> well, that's one card out of the 25. You know what I mean? So, so yeah, they're going to be super rare. Um, and you know, the, the buying packs to get the specific one you want is the dumbest thing you could ever do. Um, but they exist and man, it's just a cool little bonus thing. And it's also a great way for wizards to make money selling boxes of this product because people will buy this set by the case to open two of these. They, I mean, I feel like the fetches and the shocks, the full art ones, are going to be, like, just infinite dollars. Yeah, I think so, too. Okay, over, under mm, $400 for the fetches. Which fetch? A blue fetch. 
$400. Misty Rainforest. That depends. It all depends. If Misty Rainforest gets reprinted in the spring. Oh, no, no, no. I mean, like, two months after Zendikar comes out. Sure. Over. What about... What about 200 for Arid Mesa? Over. 150 for... Uh, Temple Garden. Temple Garden under. Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna put the uh, the Shocklands probably around like probably around like regular foil fetches. Those are all under a hundred except for the blue ones. I think I think that's about right for the for the shocks. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I'm gonna put I'm gonna put all of the I'm gonna put almost all of the shocks under a hundred. Yeah. These things are gonna be and, so and, rare though. And way too soon to tell on the on the new lands. Oh, those are gonna be like fifty maybe. Cause I feel like a foil no, those are gonna be less. Cause like a, I think a foil of those things are gonna be like twenty bucks. Yeah, you think? Yeah, what's a foil temple at? Oh, temple garden? No, shut up. Like a what are you foil temple of enlightenment. I don't know. Foil Temple of Enlightenment is currently nine bucks. Okay. Uh, these will be like twenty then. Yeah, I think the 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 expedition version of these will be like twenty or thirty bucks. What? Yeah. Put them at fifty. Nah, they're, I don't think they're that great. They're not going to see eternal play. I think they're good. They're great in standard. They're just they're great. I think that comparing them to the temples isn't fair. I think comparing them to the uh, maybe to the fetches, or maybe no. Mm -mm. Compare them to the shocklands from Return to Ravnica. No, those are better. But I think no, I mean price wise. Like right now, Temple Garden is ten bucks. Foil Temple Garden's thirty bucks from Return to Ravnica. Yeah, but people play that in modern. Yeah, but. These are going to be standard. These are going to be played in standard a lot. Yeah, that's probably true. So, I mean, these are going to be these are going to be played. We're not talking about modern. If they poured over to another format, then they're going to go up. But I think that these are going to be like the premier like dual lands in standard after rotation. Uh, yeah. I mean, what other choice do we have? Exactly. I, I like the temples better than these, actually. I think the temples will see more modern play than these cards do. I'd say it's about even. I say it's not close. All right, fine, <laughs> whatever. Um, I uh, I said we weren't going to get into any of the other cards, but oh, we got to talk about Ulamog, right? We got to at least talk about Ulamog. Sure, he's the one remaining big bad Eldrazi because Emrakul and Kozlik died, right? Or they did something. Did they? I don't actually know. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Um, read me. Do you have it open? I do. Cool. Read read Ulamog's Ceaseless Hunger. Ulamog, comma, the Ceaseless Hunger. Costs 10 mana. He's a legendary creature, Eldrazi. He is colorless. He is a 10-10. When you cast Ulamog, exile two target permanents. He is indestructible, and whenever Ulamog attacks, defending player exiles the top 20 cards of his or her library. 
So there you this go. This is the this is the ultimate card for the mill player who has no idea how they want to win the game. <laughs> the fir- that was my first reaction when I read this card. Was this is for the person who plays mill, but then also runs creatures in there that they're trying to deal damage with. This is the ultimate card for that player who has no idea if they want to mill their opponent or deal 20 damage. So they try to make some sort of deck that does both. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean, I don't know. When, once you get up to 10, <laughs> this, I, I, I feel like you can't really evaluate the Eldrazi's until we get the full set. Because clearly right. they're going to have to put stuff in there that gets you to 10. Right, right, and then we and we've seen some stuff already in the spoiler, but like I said, we're not going to get totally into the spoiler. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want you know we've we talked enough about other stuff that I'm going to have a hard enough time editing, as it is. Um, but uh, there are ways to to utilize cards that are in your opponent's exile. Um, there are abilities that, like, one of the costs is, like, put two cards from your opponent's exiled pile into their graveyard ability. Mm-hmm. You know, stuff like that. So there are ways to utilize those. Um, I don't exactly think it's about milling, although, <laughs> I mean, you get you get this in limited, you just play it. I mean, like, who cares if they're at 10 life? Who cares which way you win? Just, just win with it. Um, the exiling two permanents is also really awesome for uh, for ten mana and you know uncounterable because it's when it's cast you know um, that's obviously a huge ability um, but I mean that's that seems pretty cool and uh, there there will be ways man there will be ways to get to ten mana but we're we'll have to wait to next week to see those ways. Um, was there anything else that you'd want to talk about before we sign off this week? No. Nah. Cool. We have. I think we've done enough here. Yeah. Um. So yeah, next week we're gonna talk spoilers. Uh, we're just gonna talk spoilers all the way. Um. So that's gonna be really awesome. Uh, we are gearing up for Grand Prix Oklahoma City, but sp- next week is a spoiler-filled episode. So tune into that and love it. Um, also, make sure you tune into my stream every Sunday. We didn't talk about it um, on the show, but we're starting to build up a little... We're starting to build a little momentum, starting to get some more viewers. Um, and I'd really love to get more eyes on the stream because I'm having a lot of fun doing it. Um, although I got to admit, that last, like, 30, 45 minutes is rough i'm just like come on yeah it gets late um yeah it's it's kind of rough towards the end but um but we had a good some good interaction in the chat room um even even non-troll interaction which was cool (laughs) uh some good interaction in the chat room going um some fun times drafting the decks um the deck i drafted in the eight four man like I should have, I should have won with that deck. It was a really good deck, um, but I had a bad mulligan choice, and uh, the hand didn't develop. 
So I lost um, when really I had, I mean, I had an amazing deck. But anyway, you know, I don't blame that on, I got mana screwed. I should have mulliganed that seven and I chose not to. And I paid for it. Um, but it was fun. It was a good time. And I'm really, you know, pumped and excited for everyone that, that, that tuned in. And just make sure you tune in again this Sunday, Sunday, 9 p.m. Eastern, twitch.tv slash legitmtg. Uh, we'll be doing some more Origins draft. Maybe I'll try to force the mill deck. Maybe I'll actually draft a blue card. Um, maybe we'll just vote and do four-pack sealed instead. Uh, but we'll see. Uh, I'm starting to feel like four-pack sealed because <laughs> we're winding down towards the end here, you know? And I just kind of like, well, you know, we do something different. Uh, but anyway, uh, so next week, you know, spoilers. We're talking about them the whole time. So tune in. And until then, we are YoMTG Taps. Stop bitching, start brewing. Yeah, yeah, we're on to the next one. Yeah, yeah, the album's already done. Yeah, yeah, collect the funds before we do these shows. Gotta go on the press run. Yeah, yeah, we're on to the next one. Yeah, yeah, that album's already done. Yeah, yeah, collect the funds before we do these shows. Gotta go on the press run. Yo, the rhyme pays more eyes once I rhyme through the doors. Yo, MTG Taps is available every Friday on legitmtg.com. I want my mtg.com, mtgcast.com, iTunes, Stitcher, Brainlink, Telegraph, and via Passenger Pigeon at pigeoncast.com. Questions, comments, or free sticker requests that I will hopefully one day get around to can be sent to yomtgtabs at gmail.com. The intro music is the song Press Run by the amazing Baltimore MC You'll Never Know and is produced by W. Additional background music produced by Logic Marsalis. Purchase all of their music at magneticmoments.bandcamp.com. That's magnetic with a K. Seriously, purchase all of their music. Find us on Twitter and Facebook to guarantee infinite happiness forever. Finally, make sure to check out my weekly limited stream, Head Games with Big Head Joe, every Sunday at 9 p.m. Eastern at twitch.tv slash legitmtg. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.